0: Welcome to the Heart Matters Podcast with your host, Ibn Leon. Join us as we explore the intricacies of spirituality and self-improvement. Gain a fresh perspective on enhancing your spiritual, emotional, and mental well-being through the fusion of spirituality and self-improvement. Enjoy Ibn's engaging conversations with guests from diverse backgrounds. They share unique perspectives on personal growth and holistic health. From spiritual leaders to relationship experts, entrepreneurs to creatives, each episode delivers knowledge and inspiration. Tune in to the Heart Matters Podcast for profound conversations and practical advice empowering you to live your best life. Chapter 5 Inspiring Stories Okay, everybody. So let me ask all of you a question that I asked myself back in 2017. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get my podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record my episode? How do I get my show on all the apps that people like to listen to? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. So if you've always wanted to start your own podcast and have people listen to your voice, go to anchor.fm/start. Again, anchor.fm/start to join me in the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. Again, that's anchor Dot fm slash start i can't wait to hear your podcast hello it's rose hello how,
1: how are you
0: how, how are you i'm well
1: i am doing well thank you i was just getting off of another interview so thank you for your patience as i logged in
0: okay that's fine let me introduce you to everybody Okay, this is Joey. Am I pronouncing this right? Is it Joey?
1: Jory. It's like Lori with a J.
0: Like Murray with a J?
1: Lori. So jo- it's, my name is Jory.
0: Oh, Jory. Okay. This is Jory Rose. She's the owner and founder of the Bay Area Mindfulness and Therapy Center in Danville, California, and she's also a marriage and family therapist. So is everything all right? How's this COVID-19 affecting your business?
1: Well, uh, luckily I can see my clients virtually and um, everyone needs a lot of mental and emotional support right now. So my business is continuing. Um, I have some clients who have gone to every other week or every third just because finances are, you know, an additional concern right now. Um, but I'm getting a lot of uh, community building in my social media, and my Facebook groups, and um, so people are definitely staying connected.
0: Okay, so let's start. Let's go back to the beginning. How did yes. you? How did you? How did you start this center? What brought this about?
1: Yeah. So I always knew from when I was younger that I wanted to be a marriage and family therapist, but I knew I wasn't going to be a traditional therapist. And by that, I mean, I, it didn't feel appropriate to me as a human being to be in a relationship in which was one-sided. And I knew that in the kind of therapist I wanted to be, I wanted to show up as my whole self rather than just this blank slate for my clients, that if I'm supposed to be this person to role model effective communication and awareness, that that was going to come from a much more organic and authentic Um, presence. And so the way that I've actually built my, uh, my business has been around mindfulness practice. And I was on a trajectory to get my license to be a therapist. And I stopped halfway through my hours to have my kids, I've got two daughters who are now 14 and 16. And um, when my youngest was in kindergarten, I decided to go back to become a therapist. And at that time, um, mindfulness really found me. I didn't know what mindfulness was. I had never meditated a day in my life. And I started to take courses and workshops and trainings and seminars and certifications and really delve deep into a mindfulness practice, both personally and professionally. And the root of my therapy work is really a framework in mindfulness. And it has given me exactly the kind of presence and framework and Structure for how I work with people, which is coming from a place of awareness, coming from a place of compassion. I'm very tool-driven in my work, and as a therapist, I, I I don't dwell on the past. While I'm very curious about the past, and of course, the past gets us to where we are, but I'm very much present moment focused of what's arising for you right now, and how is what's arising either keeping you stuck or how is it helping you move forward in your life? And for most people, we're stuck in some capacity. And so I really work with them on increasing compassionate awareness around where they're stuck, to be able to rewire the new habits, the new patterns, adopt the new mindsets, release the old stories, and uh, be able to show up fully as themselves in the here and now.
0: How does somebody become a member? Do you become a member of the center or do you just come in? How does that work?
1: Well, it's just a private practice. And so that's, you know, that's my brick and mortar business. So I've got a private practice. Um, I also lead weekly meditations, but I do a lot of work online. So my private practice is, you know, a a, a portion of my work, but a lot of what I do is, um, you know, getting gaining greater community in the online world um i have that through my podcast journey forward with jory rose i've got um you know facebook uh group that i do daily videos of meditation and mindfulness tools um anybody can join that you just have to um, click on the invite to join. Um, I've got my podcast, like I mentioned, um, social media following on Instagram. And I'm working on, I have a couple of online courses, and I'm working on uh, building out my, my bigger course right now of integrating mindfulness into all aspects of your life.
0: Okay. okay, now I read your bio, and it says you have a master's degree in counseling psychology from St. Mary's College. Correct. So when you were going when you were going to college, you decided you were going to major in psychology and then you decided not to be a psychologist.
1: Well, no, that's not totally accurate. My undergraduate degree is sociology and my graduate degree is in counseling psychology. So I have a master's in counseling. I started, like I said earlier, my hours in, in California, you need 3,000 hours of an internship in order to become a licensed therapist or in order to be able to be qualified to take the state licensing exams. So I started right out of, under, right out of graduate school on the, those hours, and I got about 1,500 hours in, and at that point decided to stop to have kids. I was too young. I didn't feel experienced to be anybody's therapist. So I stopped my hours and then, like I said, when my daughter was in kindergarten, I decided I want to go back to it. So I had actually, in California, you have to complete those 3000 hours within six years and I was outside that window. So I had to start all over again. So in the end, I have completed over 4,500 hours and um, I completed those in 2014 and then took the licensing exams, so I became a licensed therapist. So mm-hmm. I, I am a licensed therapist and that's the foundation of my private practice.
0: Okay, uh, now you being, mentioned being, some... a, being,
1: being a psychologist is having a PhD in psychology and you can be a psychologist right. without necessarily being a therapist. So I'm not a psychologist because I don't have a PhD. I have a master's and I've got a licensure in, in, in therapy
0: okay okay now you mentioned something about the past so i i got a question about that how does a person uh redefine themselves by letting go of the past
1: well one of the first things you've got to do is increase the awareness of what's keeping you stuck so and part of you know is that um a trauma that you haven't worked through? Is it an an identity that you've been defining yourself by? Is it holding on to anger? Is it holding on to resentment? Is it not knowing who you are? So you're lacking a sense of identity in this present moment. Um, But in order to let go of the past, you first have to have awareness and compassion for your story and be able to have what I would say is the mindfulness practice around it of how can I be aware of it without it it taking over, without it defining me, without being in judgment around it. And when I practice that, I can begin to identify myself in the here and now rather than have that identity from the past. I also can be able to reframe some of my core memories, you know when I work with clients around the areas in which they're stuck. some of their core memories are a result of things that maybe their parents said or did and if we can get curious about gee your 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 parent really shamed you for this let's let's see what happens if perhaps we can be curious what was going on for your parent in that moment. Maybe their actions weren't really about you. Maybe it was a result of their own disconnection to self or maybe their own trauma or their own shame. And so partly by reframing some of our beliefs of how things unfolded, we're able to heal them. And this is where therapy is really helpful because it guides us through this process. So to be able to redefine ourselves and let go of the past, you can't let go of what you're not aware of. And letting go is not the same as denying, dismissing, ignoring, or resisting. Letting go is a conscious practice of I see it, I honor it, I acknowledge it. And I recognize it's not serving me any longer to hold on to it.
0: So someone, somebody who was trying to take this step, trying to let go of the past, they would have to go see someone or would it be something they could possibly do on their own?
1: Well, I think they could definitely do it on their own, but it would take a lot of uh, awareness to be able to get out of your own story on your own without someone helping you point out where you're getting stuck. Um, But this is where I see, you know, mindfulness practice anybody could do. Mindfulness is not therapy. And this is why I I love the practice of mindfulness as a framework for the therapy that I do, because anybody can learn to practice mindfulness. Anybody can practice meditation. And when you practice these, these practices, for lack of a better word, you strengthen the ability to have awareness without judgment of what's coming up for you. But you, you've okay. got you to know what you're doing in terms of, you know, understanding what mindfulness is, understanding what meditation is. But anyone can okay, do it.
0: So, okay, so it, do mindfulness and meditation, do they go together or are they separate entities?
1: The, the answer is yes and no. <laughs> <They> are, <laughs> it's kind of like all squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares it's kind of like that. So mindfulness and meditation are not interchangeable words. They are two okay. separate things. Mindfulness right. is considered the informal practice, whereas meditation is considered a formal practice. So mindfulness is the the process in which you show up in your everyday life. It's your quality of presence and awareness that you bring to each moment. Whereas meditation is a a a more structured practice of slowing down, creating space to come into your breath or into your senses to bring you into the present moment to increase awareness of what's arising so you can both simultaneously allow what is arising to exist while also increasing your focus and attention to place it where you want to. So the more established a meditation practice you have, that is going to inform your mindfulness practice, meaning that's going to be the ability for you to, be present is because you've had this ability to slow down and and be aware.
0: Okay. All right, now I've been seeing a lot of this on Facebook and different like social media things where a husband and wife or, you know, two partners are living together during this pandemic. And like you see some of this stuff and like they're getting on each other's nerves. So what advice would you give to couples who are living, you know, during this crisis?
1: yeah absolutely that's a really great question and something really important a lot of couples are struggling around and one of the things uh, the the very first thing i think to start for couples is to have the awareness that we're all on the same boat that there's nobody on this planet right now who is immune from tapping into the stress and anxiety that we collectively feel as, as a humanity right now and also understanding how our brain works when we're stressed when we're anxious we're overwhelmed it shuts down our ability to be more present in having kinder language and to not being reactive so when you have the awareness of feeling overwhelmed or anxious or stressed then you have the ability to have greater compassion for yourself to say yeah you know i'm sorry i recognize i just raised my voice at you i recognize i just i i'm feeling really short or um you know, short-tempered or, or my lack of patience is really high right now. And to be able to name where you're at so your partner can have compassion for what you're going through. But if you don't have awareness of of your thoughts and your emotions and what you're experiencing, you're gonna stay in reaction mode. And it's 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 actually simple brain science. The way that our brains are designed is when our emotional brain takes over It shuts down our tools, it shuts down our executive functioning. So many people when they're stressed and anxious are simply operating from their emotional brain. And when we're operating from that place, we're just operating out of reactivity. We don't have the ability to speak with kinder words. We don't have the ability to be logical or reasonable or rational because that emotional brain is, is just reactive. So for couples right now, I would say anyone listening who's experiencing this, I would definitely start by just acknowledging to yourself first and then to your partner, wow, like I'm really overwhelmed and be able to name what that is like for you. What does it feel like in your body to be overwhelmed? What are the thoughts coming into your head? What are the fears and anxieties showing up? What's really present with you? And when you can be able to name it and then communicate it, then ideally our partners can have more compassion and and even be able to join with you and say, wow, baby, I'm really struggling too. And it's easy to struggle against each other, right? If you're both being reactive and impatient and angry, but it's really helpful when we can join together and say, can we hold hands through this? Like, can we recognize we're going through this together? And in fact, again, no one is immune from feeling this right now. So even just understanding that the reason so many couples are having struggles is it's not their fault, right? We're all experiencing an unprecedented level of stress and uncertainty than we ever have before as a planet. So how could we not be overwhelmed and anxious and, and angry and fearful and not always knowing how to, you know, how to manage? And I, I think also because of these stress levels being really high, anything that might have otherwise been under a flashlight of awareness is now under a floodlight of awareness, right? This, the quarantining, the shelter in place, the lack of ability to have our Typical habits for managing our everyday stresses are taken away from us, right? Whether you're stopping at the bar for a drink on your way home after work, whether you're going to the gym, whether you're going to a yoga class, whether you're meeting up with the guys for Taco Tuesday or meeting your girlfriends for girls night out or going to a concert or traveling, all the things that we do to create the balance for these stresses in our life, we can't do. And so it's it's taking away our ability to let off our steam in either healthy or unhealthy ways, right? We all, there's different ways that people go about doing that. So in the absence of those abilities to let go of the steam, it's actually really interesting because there's already been an increase in domestic violence since this pandemic began. And there was the chief of the UN just last week I think it was on Thursday came out and said that countries need to have domestic of violent domestic violent violence um plans in their pandemic kind of plans for their country because Mm. the rise of anger and abuse is really high right now and Uh it is it's a real problem and in fact um my fiance, he works with men. He does a lot of anger management work. And he was telling me that women's shelters are not necessarily getting an increase in calls right now, That the calls are increased in, I need somewhere to go. Whereas if maybe, you know, half the calls were, can you give me some resources and half the calls were I need a safe place to go live. If there's the same number of calls right now, the majority of them are, I need some, some somewhere safe to go versus can mm-hmm. I just have a resource? Um, so for some couples, this is, you know, for some people, sheltering in place isn't so bad. I love my partner. I get along with my kids. I enjoy my home. I have some money in the bank. And this is like a gift of time. It's like a staycation. But for some people, their home isn't a safe place and their partner's... And then have already had issues in communication or issues in managing their frustrations, and in the absence of an outlet, it can become problematic
0: hmm. okay so when when was the first time you heard about this thing? this covid nineteen Do you remember
1: um I think it was definitely back in, gosh, I can't remember the exact dates of it, but when it was first starting to become a problem in China, because uh, my plans for the summer initially was that my fiance and I were going to take our daughters on a trip to Cambodia and Vietnam. And once the awareness of what was happening in China, we had had the conversation of, "Hmm, I'm not really sure going to Southeast Asia this summer is a really good idea. Mm. So um maybe that was in December when it was first coming up, maybe early January. I think that was probably one of my first awarenesses of it.
0: Okay, so it wasn't it wasn't in the United States yet that we knew no. of.
1: Not that yeah, not that I was aware of, no.
0: Okay. Tell me a little bit about your childhood. What kind of kid were you? How many siblings you got?
1: Well, I am the youngest of three. I've got an older sister, 10 years older, an older brother, seven years older. Uh, my parents divorced when I was three. And so I was really raised, my family growing up was really just my mom, my brother and I. And uh, my dad died when I was 10. So really close with my family growing up. Very, um, yeah, I was a really good kid. I, I never rebelled. <laughs> I was very, I was very close with my mom. Um, you're laughing at me.
0: <laughs> no, I'm just saying, you, know? <laughs> you you were good.
1: I, I was a really good kid because my mom had a lot of trauma in her life and I knew I couldn't add to her stress.
0: Okay. And
1: so I, I I honestly like I didn't, you know, I got I got grounded once my whole childhood. I got in trouble once. Um
0: Are you serious? You got grounded once. My
1: then, god.
0: Wow. Uh, that was yeah. a regular practice for me. Wow. Okay, do you remember I, I, what you I got was, grounded for? Did oh. Oh, you remember 100%, when it was for?
1: oh yeah, hundred percent. Um so yeah, but I um yeah, there you know, my, my mom's parents were killed in a car accident when my mom was 16 and my mom was the wow. only survivor of the accident. And so wow. that that trauma um permeated of a lot of realities in my life growing up. From the way she parented to my own fears and anxieties. And then my dad committed suicide when I was 10. So between her parents' death and my dad's death from a very young age, I was very aware of the fragility of life, either by choice or by accident. And wow. it, it caused me um, to stay very close to home, You know, to be very close to my mom, very dependent on her I was right. too afraid to I was too afraid to mess up. I never drank, I never did drugs because, you know, I um I, I was very aware of a lot of the realities of life from a young age in a way that, you know, at the time didn't really make college really fun. <laughs> right. I I was still kind of that fearful young kid. Um, but yeah, growing up, that was, you know, those were the realities of my life, which is largely why I took the professional path that I did and feel so deeply about mindfulness practices because I have learned to truly let go of my fears and my anxieties. And if I can do it, anyone can do it because my, my fears and anxieties from growing up weren't based on what if it wasn't, what if something bad happens. Because in my family, something bad already did happen. So right. my, my, my fears were reality based and they, dictated a lot of my choices and a lot of my decisions, but it wasn't always serving me because it kept me, kept me sheltered and it kept me from living my life fully. So my own mindfulness practice of being able to increase my own awareness of what I was experiencing and what I was feeling and differentiating my thoughts and my emotions and my identity and learning how to stop my mind from ruminating or getting into fear and anxiety of the unknowns mm-hmm. truly gave me freedom. Which is why I'm so passionate about teaching others because if I can do it, anyone can do it.
0: Now I wanted I wanted to ask you about this. This is important because uh, a lot of people, matter of fact, people that I know deal a lot with anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. How do you? Yeah, how do you manage? How do you manage that? How do you deal with those two things,
1: personally or professionally?
0: Professionally.
1: Well, it's simply um, noticing what's arising when you're feeling anxious, so to pick one at a time and start talking about. So when you're feeling anxious, there's thoughts that are coming to your head, there's associated sensations in your body, there's emotions that you start to label as you relate to those thoughts and sensations, and to be able to notice the typical reactions that you have when those thoughts or sensations or emotions arise you know if you have a thought of i'm not good enough i'm not worthy i won't succeed i the unknown is scary you know then the reactions might be to um, go into fear or to ask the question why or to judge yourself all of which is going to make all those things bigger the thoughts bigger the uh, sensations stronger the emotions bigger so when you can, inc- and, and it's truly the same thing with the depression, you know, depression is a sense of hopelessness and depression. We often get stuck ruminating on what's wrong, but when you can be aware of the pattern of what comes up for you, when you're dealing with depression, you can acknowledge, these are just thoughts. These are just emotions. These are just sensations. They don't define me and they're not permanent. So if I sure. consciously, breathe, then I can calm down my brain. I can calm down my body. I can choose compassion over judgment. I can choose to be grateful versus focus on what's wrong. So this is where, you know, these things become a practice.
0: Hmm. I want to go back to the mindfulness thing, because you were saying that, you know, people have to, when you're dealing with mindfulness, you have to deal with a certain level of honesty with yourself. So can a person be mindful, practice mindfulness, and be lying to themselves? Is that a possibility or no?
1: Well, I think they could be doing what's called a spiritual bypass, where they could say they're doing the work, but if they're lying to themselves, they're not really doing the work. They might be convincing themselves that they are by going through the motions, but if you're lying to yourself, then you're not accepting what's arising. You're staying within judgment to yourself because there might be too much shame to acknowledge what you're really feeling or thinking so uh, I think someone could do it, but they're not really practicing mindfulness.
0: Okay, so if, if a person is doing it, that, that's the source of it. The source of it is shame, or is well, it something I, I, else?
1: I, without knowing, you know, I, I couldn't name a blanket answer for all of that. I think it would be really situation and person dependent. Um, there might be shame, they, there might be embarrassment, there might be judgment there might be longing for something else there might be um sadness behind it there might be anger um, there might be it might be too vulnerable for someone to face themselves they don't know how to be vulnerable because it's scary
0: right
1: so i think there's there's a lot of things that could be coming up for someone you know and for some people too their identity might be a certain persona, and to start to face themselves might mean a shift in their identity. And how do they know who they are if they're not that that identity anymore, right? Yeah. If you've got a, a very, um, I'm trying to think of a good example. If you've got someone, you know, I'll, I'll be very general. Um, socialization of boys by under age five, boys are being shut down to authentically express themselves studies show that by under age five, boys and girls have the same level of emotional expression. But by age five, boys are being given messages either very subtly or very explicitly of how a boy should and should not act by what they express emotionally. So they learn to cut off about two thirds of their emotional expression. You know, if they're too happy or joyful, more excited. It's you know, don't be a girl if they are too emotional, um, or show too much sadness or fear. You know, it, it's it's stuff like you know, playground talk of don't be a pussy, be a man, man up. And okay, so it, wait, wait, wait. It, 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 it it cuts off. But this is how <laughs> this is what the message boys are given, and it cuts okay, off the ability this? to to feel what they're really feeling. So, my, but to answer your question though, they're left with emotions that are acceptable to feel which is anger or stress and right. so when they do when they do feel the other emotions that they've been shut down from feeling it might go against the persona that's expected of them
0: okay so let me all right i gotta ask follow a question to that day so where does this emotional education or lack of education come from
1: it's socialization and um, there is i mean this is the work that my fiance is doing he's got a podcast called the evolved caveman so he really delves deep into this topic and there's um it's called the man box culture of which this is how boys are socialized this is not my opinion this is you know what the studies show and this is anecdotally what is is demonstrated over and over again of how men are taught to be what a man is. And for a lot of the definition of masculinity is simply the absence of femininity. And in that absence of femininity takes away a lot of emotional expression. And so men are socialized to not feel and express their emotions, but that doesn't mean they're not having them. So the mindfulness piece allows them to tune into what they've been told to shut down and to be able to give it a name. In fact, studies also also show that men can name about eight emotions and women can name about 17 emotions. So they don't even have the language to describe what's happening inside of them.
0: Are you serious? Wow, this is fascinating. Okay, I wanna wanna ask you about um, what, what age would you recommend that boys begin to get re emotionally? What age would you recommend? Do they have to be young adults or would you start, you know, preteen. I, I, I would say start? I
1: would, well, it's got to come from the parenting. And even if the parenting supports at the school ground, playground, is not going to easily support it. So it's going to, until they're adults, it's likely going to be a, an individualized practice with an awareness that I'm not feeling good in who I am because I'm constantly getting shamed for feeling what I feel. So I learned to shut it down. So I think any age um, is the ideal age. But often what happens is in in part of that socialization is, you, you know, where it really comes into play is in relationships and marriage, because part of that socialization is men being told what it means to be a successful husband, which is to often be a good provider. But Women's needs are a lot more in modern relationships than just to have a provider because they often are providers themselves, and so often what you know we see happening is women are unhappy in their relationships, and women are the drivers of most divorces um the The statistics on who has more affairs is is not more men. It's pretty equal. I think it's actually slightly higher with women, I believe. And it's because women are, are unhappy in their relationships because their men aren't aware, they're not present, they're not uh, socially communicative, they're not, um, yeah, they're, it's, it's how they've been socialized. And men are unhappy in their relationships when their women are unhappy with them. So there's a really great book called, How Can I Get Through to You? by uh, a great therapist named Terry Reel. And he says, hey, guys, you better listen up because she's been socialized to have greater emotional awareness and you've been socialized to not. And so what she's saying is real. So often what you know we see in our work is couples exhibiting these patterns that are not their fault. But when they realize that it's causing a problem in their relationship, it is their responsibility to say, okay, it's not my fault I was raised this way or that society has put these kind of standards on the differences in men and women. But I realized that now my partner is really unhappy or unsatisfied and is threatening to leave me because I'm not present. I'm not aware. I'm, you know, I, I don't know how to be a partner. I know how to be a provider, but I don't know how to be a partner.
0: Okay. Well, what if the, what if the guy in the relationship is according to the woman being too emotionally present? And she starts to say something to him about that. How can they meet in the middle then? Because you have some guys who are too too emotionally present, you know.
1: Well, I would define what does that look like to be too emotionally present? Because one could say when they're yelling in anger that they're emotionally present with their anger. But is it being done in a skillful way?
0: You mean the arguing? You You mean the arguing?
1: Well... Well, I I don't know, you know, when you said, if she were to say he's too emotionally aware or too emotionally present, I'm not sure what that would look like in relationship to be too emotionally present. Is it too clingy? Is it, you know, because there's always an emotion driving a behavior. Um, I don't often hear women complaining about their men being too emotionally present. I've, generally, it, it's quite the opposite. Mm.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. all right yeah i'm just yeah i'm just picking i'm trying to find out what's going on here <laughs> you know i'm a man you know so i want to know what's going on i want to know yep. <laughs> okay
1: yeah i i i would I, I would i would check out some episodes on uh on john's podcast the evolve caveman it would be great insight into the the backstory of all yeah, of
0: I'll um, caveman yeah yep okay now he is this the only one that's called the Evolve Cave Man, or Am I going to find a bunch of them? I don't
1: know. There's only one. Okay.
0: All right. I'm, I'm going to look that up. Right. It was a pleasure talking to you, Ms. Yeah. Rose. I really enjoyed this. It was quite informative.
1: Thank you so I mean, much. You're I'm so glad. And I hope everyone stays healthy and well during all that's going on. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I hope everything's well with you, too. All right. Thanks for coming. Thank you. You so have much. an open invitation. You come back anytime you get ready. I really uh, appreciate you coming on. Thank you so All much. Right. All right.
1: Take care. Bye. Be well.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Heart Matters podcast. For relationship, spiritual, coaching, and resources, go to the Heart Matters brand link tree, which is link tr.ee slash l-o-u-i-s m-o-r-r-i-s that's link tr.ee slash l-o-u-i-s m-o-r-r-i-s and we will see you again soon